0: Back in the book of Judges, here, um, and the book of Judges is just a mess. It is totally a mess. That's why we got such a mess up here on the stage to kind of represent the mess of the book of Judges. We've got toilets because um, the the stuff that happens in this book uh, just continually gets worse and worse. It's like a toilet flush, and so um, we we're in the book of of a mess. Um, and yet God is still active in that. Um, last week. Um, I introduced the series, I guess, we're going to do on Gideon here. There's three chapters on Gideon. I'm not sure how long we'll be there. Uh, Michael Harrison, one of our pastors, described last week's message as um, the preamble to the preload to the introduction of the Gideon messages. Um, And so I I got through a little bit of stuff, read a few verses. We're going to see how far we're going to get today. Um, One of the big things I think we see, and I tried to introduce you to in Gideon, is He's not this great hero that we've always thought he was. Um, you may have grown up thinking Gideon's a hero, and um, he's, he's fantastic. No, Gideon is actually pretty, uh, pretty flawed. Um, all of the, the judges that we've seen so far, Othniel and Ehud, uh, Shamgar for a moment, Deborah Barak, um, their stories have been pretty quick and, and kind of easy to follow. They've done some good things, but we don't get a lot of details with those guys. Now that we're in Gideon, we've got three chapters. We're going to get a lot of detail in him, and we're going to see him um, as a flawed character. Now, we may not agree in all the places where he's flawed or not. There there may be some things that I'm going to highlight and say, this is a problem, and you may go, I'm not sure that's a problem, or some things you go, I can't believe he did that, and I'm like, oh, well, there's an explanation. But anybody who reads the Gideon story closely and and kind of allows themselves to go, what's this guy really like? He's got ups and downs. There are... Um, there are times he's he's really strong. There are times he's super weak. Um, And in that, I want to introduce you to this idea that that we're not here to judge Gideon. I'm not trying to say, you know, the application of these Gideon messages is to take Gideon off the pedestal um, and and make him a bad guy. If anything, I, I want you to say you can relate to Gideon. He's got ups and downs. Sometimes his faith is strong. Sometimes it's not so strong. Um, he obeys the Lord sometimes reluctantly and then sometimes takes credit for it. It's, he's a mess like us. Um, and so in order to try to make sure that we're not here just judging Gideon, um, I wanted to say some things about idolatry. The, the, the Gideon story starts with idolatry, and it's going to end with idolatry. Gideon doesn't end in a good place. He ends um, ensnared by his own pride and, and worshiping an idol. That's where his story is going to end. Um, but so that we're not just pointing fingers, I'm going to start with an application today and and give you some tests of idolatry. Is there any idolatry in your life? Um, How do you know whether Jesus Christ, God's purposes, are, are are the highest priority for you? Anything other than that is idolatry. Unless Jesus, worshiping him, serving him, passion for him is first in your life, Unless that's true, it's some form of idolatry. How would you know? Because I'm telling you, none of you have shrines. None of you have, we'll talk about it in a minute, Asherah poles in your yard. He's going to have to cut down an Asherah pole. None of you've got them. I get it. You're not an idolater that way. But maybe there's some other tests to test and check the priorities in your life. How about looking at your checkbook? What do you, what do you spend your money on? We're doing taxes these days, uh, you know, looking at, uh, at your checkbook and go, ah, where, where did our resources go this this year? And what about your calendar? What are the things that are on your calendar that you look at and say, well, gosh, that's what dominates my calendar. Um, or uh, it, it, are there things that are on your calendar that you, you go, that one is set in stone and, and even, even things the Lord might want me to do. No, I've got to do that. Your, your calendar can reveal that. Your relationships, what are your primary relationships? Are they are the relationships that help you grow? Or are they relationships that are preventing, presenting a challenge for you and drawing you away from the Lord? How about comparing your past priorities, maybe in your checkbook or your calendar in your relationship, and say, you know, my life used to be oriented this way, and now I look at my relationships, and it's oriented this way. What about the location of your Bible? Where's your Bible? Because you know what? Some of you, your Bible is uh, here at the Connection Center in the Lost and Found. Okay, (laughs) we've got your Bible. Maybe that reveals something. Um, what about your comfort in prayer? Um, I've said this a number of times. When, when somebody asks you to pray for them, don't. Don't tell anybody you're going to pray for them. If they ask you to pray for them, just pray for them. Just stop and pray for them. Hey, would you pray for me about this? Say, yes, and then pray. Are you comfortable doing that? Are you comfortable just jumping right into prayer? When somebody says, would you pray about this? Um, what about your Amazon history? Well, there's a little conviction for me. You look at your Amazon history, you go, ah, what, boy, you know, it, have books become my my idol? What, what do you look at at your, your, maybe your Amazon rental history? Your conversations, what are the nature of your conversations? Do they reveal what's important to you? What has become an, what are the easiest things for you to jump into conversation about? Um, again, I, we're going to take an honest look at, at Gideon. And, and we're going to see ups and downs just like us. But I think we're going to also see some opportunities to say, yeah, he, he's like us. God is patient with him, helps him grow. God still uses him. But the consequences of his idolatrous choices are pretty significant. Um, so let's look at, at Gideon this week. I'm not sure how far we'll, we'll make it through this uh, chapter 6, but we're going to see Gideon's weak faith in a strong God. Uh, Gideon's weak faith, his growing faith, his tumultuous faith, in a patient God, in a gracious God. Um, Again, I I started with this quote last week. In many sermons and Bible study lessons, Gideon is often portrayed as a valiant and brave warrior, a true model for us. Yet a close reading of this story suggests he's perhaps more complex than that and, like many of the other judges, has some serious flaws in his character. Um, Yeah, he's got some flaws. and, and, And that opens it up for us to not put him on a pedestal or or castigate him completely, but it opens him up for us to go, yeah, where are we like this? Where can we connect with the ups and the downs, the struggles of Gideon along the way? Mary Evans says, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah are all portrayed more or less positively. Gideon, on the other hand, is specifically described as weak and fallible right from the beginning. He has his heroic moments, but that he was at best a flawed hero is clearly De- has clearly been deliberately emphasized. Um, he's presented in, in a pretty um, broad spectrum and a realistic light. Um, start with another application here. here. Here's what Gideon needed to remember. Gideon needed to remember this. It's it's so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. <laughs> that's, that's one of Gideon's biggest problem. God says, I'm with you, you're going to win. And, and Gideon has to say, really? Really? How about, te- how about proving it to me? How, how sweet it is to have the kind of Christian life where we really trust in Jesus. We take him at his word, and, and we, we rest upon his promises. That's not Gideon. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. That's, that's where Gideon should have landed. That's where we should land. We trust you. We take your promises. We take your word, and we understand when you say it, it's done. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. That's going to be a part of this message today. How, how God has shown himself to be faithful to the Israelites, and God shows himself to be faithful to us. We can prove him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Our prayer, as we identify with Gideon, would be, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, for grace to trust you more. That's what we're looking at here. The Gideon cycle over these next three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, um, it starts with a problem and it ends with a problem. The problem at the beginning is external. These Midianite um, marauding Bedouin tribes have invaded the land of Israel. They've uh, pushed the Israelites up into the caves, and they're taking all their crops. It's going to end not with an external oppression, but with an internal problem of idolatry. We're going to have these two altars, one that... Gideon tears down one that he builds, and there's two battles, this one main battle and then another pursuing battle that may not be so well-motivated. And in the middle is Gideon's personal struggle to kind of build his faith and God's patience with him. In the middle of being honest about Gideon, I want us to really remember that God is being faithful. So let's look at where I started last week, and that's the oppression of the Midianites, the beginning problem, which reveals the perpetual idolatry of God's people— Stop there for a moment. This, this is now in a place in the book. We're in chapter six. We've seen um, both their failures militarily and religiously in chapters one and two. We've seen through Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah Barak that idolatry is a problem and it's relentless now. It's, it's monotonous that, that we're reading about this idolatry. But the perpetual idolatry of God's people leads not for God to destroy them. But to relentlessly discipline them because he loves his people. Perpetual idolatry leads to relentless discipline from God's hands. Here's where we started last week. The Israelites, oh gosh, one more time, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. They're driven up into the mountains to live in caves. Whenever the Israelites came out of those caves and planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, I mean, through the middle of the the fertile area of the land, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them Or their camels, they invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Um, Again, we've we've mentioned this. I I don't think this is repentance. I think they have just gotten to the end of it, and and they they don't know where else to turn. Mary Evans, these two things I love. The picture is of a people not just acknowledging Baal alongside Yahweh. They did evil in the sight of the lord we 're going to see that they have Baal worship everywhere, but rather they took part um, they took part in yah they didn't have any Yahweh included in their worship at all. Their crying out was not from any vestige of faith or trust, but only out of desperation. It had gotten so bad they desperately cry out to the Lord and then she says this the Lord will not allow himself to be last resort uh, the Lord doesn't want to be i mean he he sometimes is. <laughs> But he's trying to move you and discipline you along the way so that he's not your last resort, that he's your first resort. He's the first place you go when there's a difficulty along the way. Now, what God does when they cry out, the pattern has been established. They cry out, God sends Othniel. They cry out, God sends Ehud. They cry out, Shamgar. They cry out, Barak and Deborah. This time they cry out, and they don't get a deliverer. This time, the pattern's different, they cry out, they get a prophet. And the prophet is going to reveal some things that are really important. They cry out, they don't immediately get a deliverer. They're going to get one in Gideon eventually. They get a a prophet, and then they're going to get actually an appearance by the Lord himself. And this revelation of the Lord is, is kind of to remind them of God's faithfulness. Um, the prophet shows up and he he's going to say God's been faithful to you guys. I think there's something else that's revealed here, and that is God's people should rehearse and know the stories of His faithfulness. When the prophet shows up, he goes, "Don't you know? Here's what God's done." And and Gideon kind of knows them, but 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 he hasn't applied them well. He he doesn't know them um, as well as he should, and and so God's people should should really know these stories of God's faithfulness. And we should be able to recall them and pull them um, so that when things are bad, we have these stories to rely on. Here's the prophet showing up. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you've not listened to me. You notice what he does? He, he, he shows up and he says, listen, you're in a desperate state, but let me remind you, this is what I did. I brought you up. I delivered you. I rescued I drove them out. I, I, I've said I'm with you. You brought this on yourself. You didn't listen to me. The whole Ralph Davis says, Yahweh sends a prophet because Israel needs more than immediate relief. He, at this point, he's not, not going to allow them to say, we cry out, he sends a deliverer. At this point, he, they cry out, he sends a prophet. They need more than immediate relief. They need to understand why they are oppressed. They must see that Yahweh gave them into the hand of Midian, Because they had not listened to his voice. They brought this on themselves. I'll stop for an application for a minute here. Do you know God's story? I mean, the prophet shows up to go, here's what God's already done. Do you know God's story? God's story recorded in Scripture and your personal testimony that you have, your personal stories of God's faithfulness to you, it's a critical part of forming a foundation of faith for the rest of your life. Do you know God's story? Can you tell it? I mean, really, can you rehearse? Okay, here's, here's the deal. God created Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden. They messed up. He kicked him out of the Garden of Eden. It keeps getting worse until God says, I'm going to start all over with Noah, sends a flood. Then they get off the ark, and it goes bad again. Things are going a mess until there's the Tower of Babel. The nations scatter. They're all around the place, and there's all these nations, and God says, I'm going to use one of them. He calls Abraham. Um, Abraham has a couple of sons. They end up in Egypt in slavery for 400 years until God sends Moses. And Moses is going to deliver them because God is gracious and he's got a purpose in all this. Moses brings them out of Egypt and then Joshua takes them into the land. They conquer the land. Then we have this 400-year period of the judges that's up and down and it's a mess. And um, it is uh, full of, of um, these heroes who were a mess themselves, but God is still faithful to his people. Um, but these heroes are not enough, so they get a bunch of kings. First of all, they get three kings where the kingdom is united under Saul, David, and Solomon. And then Solomon leaves a mess, and the kingdom gets divided into the north and the south with Israel and Judah. That lasts for about 400 years. A bunch of preachers are in there, um, and, and, and Israel's still a mess. Um, another 400 years where there's kind of a silent period, and then Jesus shows up. And Jesus is the solution to all of this that was lining up so that Jesus... Um, reveals, hey, I'm the solution to this problem. We're going to remember that part of the story this morning. And then Jesus leaves, and he leaves us here, the church, to spread that news around the world until he comes back. Do you know the story? That's it. I just told it. Can can you work yourself through that story? Can you tell that story? Do you know your stories of God's faithfulness? Do you know the, the places where God has showed up for you that you can highlight And and by the way, this is not a daily basis. Um, I got three or four I can talk about where I can say for sure, I know God was here that moment. I stood in a driveway and called my wife and was just overwhelmed with the presence of God. I remember that story. I remember it like it was yesterday, God's faithfulness there. There's another story that I'm I'm not even going to tell you. It's too... It's too personal God's faithfulness to me. It's not, it's not your story, it's my story. Do you know your stories of God's faithfulness? Do you know the story? Do you know your story? These stories are the foundation that, that allow us to, to grow in our faith and to, to rest and, and, and to turn back to God again and again in, in his gracious patience with us. And God sends the prophet to say, listen, here's what I've already done. Do you know the big story? Do you know your story of God's faithfulness? Well, not only does a prophet show up, but the angel of the Lord shows up. Trust me, this is a pre-incarnate um, appearance of Christ. I can't, I'm not going to prove it to you. It's, you're going to have to trust me. Um, Jesus Christ is incarnated um, in the incarnation at Christmas when he comes in the form of a baby, is Jesus. But he made some appearances earlier, and he's usually called the angel of the Lord. It's a little confusing in this narrative because of Gideon. Gideon doesn't really recognize who he is. He is the angel of the Lord. Gideon doesn't get it. And so the terminology keeps switching back and forth because Gideon, it takes him a while to understand who's there. But here's what shows up. The prophet says, here's what's going on. And the angel of the Lord shows up to say, here's what's going to happen. He sees the end from the beginning in spite of Gideon's fear. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezirite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Um, let, let me talk for just a minute about um, this threshing wheat in a wine press. It's not what you're supposed to do, okay? Um, he was he was afraid of the Midianites, but, but the picture you get here is pretty interesting. Threshing wheat is when you take the wheat, you beat it, and then you throw it up in the air, okay? And when you throw it up in the air, the wind's supposed to blow it. And so the best place to thresh is at the top of a hill. You thresh at the top of a hill. That's not where he's at. <laughs> He's down in a wine press. He's he's down in a low spot. I mean, you kind of get the picture of, you know, he should be up there throwing it up. But if he throws it up in the air, the Midianites are going to see it. They're going to come take his sweet. You get the idea he's down in this cave, in this this wine press, and he's kind of going. It's not an effective way to do it. But all of this is because of his fear. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I don't know if you think God has a sense of humor. I think this is hilarious. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Oh, me? As he's hiding in a wine press. Lawson Younger says, The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and exclaims, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is great irony in the statement by the angel of Yahweh. Gideon is hiding from the Midianite, threshing wheat in a wine press. Gideon's name, his name means Hacker. Um, But Gideon is characterized by fearlessness and reluctance. Although Yahweh's words are correct, he will be a great warrior in the end. God sees where he's going to be, not where he is now. That's how God sees you. God sees you pretty clearly for who you are, for all of your shortcomings and all your struggles and all of your reluctance and your fearfulness and your faithlessness. God sees it, but he knows what you could be. Mary Evans says. He, his comments to Gideon may be ironic, but it also stresses God's view of the situation. It's not that of the Israelites. He sees Gideon not as a frightened farmer, but as the mightier warrior who, because Yahweh is with him, he has the potential to, come, to become. So I do want you to identify with the ups and downs, the reluctance, the fearfulness of Gideon. But I also want us to say, yeah, and, and even in the midst of that, God has Something he can do with each and every one of us. There's another application here. God can use you. God can use you. God can gift and use professional soldiers like Othniel, left handed diplomats like Ehud, effective women like Deborah. And Yahweh can also gift and use fear filled, doubting farmers like Gideon. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're professionally successful, if you're a left handed person who's kind of out of sorts or surprisingly like Deborah or if you're fearful, God can use you. The reason I know God can use you is is he's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us, but to gift us. Every believer's been gifted by the Holy Spirit to be used. And so there's a way you can be used. God didn't give you a gift to go, oh, but you don't really have to use it. He's gifted every one of you with, we call it shape around here, a spiritual gift, a heart or a passion, some abilities that you have, a personality and some experiences. God has shaped you into the person you are so that he can use you for his glory and his purposes. God can use you. So don't don't sit on the sidelines and just say, ah, I'm not a superstar. Gideon was found threshing wheat in the wine press, hiding from the Midianites. And God still says, I'm going to use you. But he's got all these questions. Uh, These are the questions that come from weak faith. Again, God doesn't say, if you're not getting up and getting out of the wine press right now, I'm done with you. No, God is patient with him, lets him grow. The call and presence of the Lord are the answers to our questions of weak faith. When we have weak faith and we go, God, I don't know, what God says is, no, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to be with you. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. I need you to think about this for just a moment here. The angel of the Lord shows up. He says, God's going to use you, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, well, then where's the deliverance? Do you know where the story's going? Who, who's going to be the deliverer? It's Gideon. <laughs> Where's the deliverance? Paradoxically, Gideon's complaint is answered by his own commissioning. Here is proof, if proof is needed, that Yahweh has not abandoned Israel. But it is clear that Gideon was not an exemplary man of faith when he was called to save Israel. Um, <laughs> the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You're wondering where the deliverance is. It's you, dude. Get another application. You may be the answer to your own complaint. If you got a problem, Lord, why haven't you delivered us? Lord says, I am, and you're the one. When you see an issue, do something about it, get involved. If you got a problem with with stuff around here, we got problems, good grief. If you got a problem with it, we want, to, we want you to get involved. Don't just sit back there and gripe, 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 gripe. <laughs> if you've if you got a problem, just go, wow, where, why aren't they going to do something about this? Well, why don't you do something about it? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Not me. Pardon me, Lord, I'm going to be polite about this. How can I do it? (laughs) I'm weak. I'm least. I'm small. I'm unqualified. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you'll strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. If you're wondering, are you weak? Are you small? Do you have ups and downs? Are you fearful? Yeah, probably. Does that matter? No, the Lord's going to be with you. So stop making excuses. Is anybody ready for me to be finished with this message? Stop making excuses. The presence and promises of God are all you need. When Jesus gave us the Great Commission, <laughs> he said, go make disciples of all the nations. And then what he said is this, and I'll be with you always. He's with you. You got something to do. Are you making disciples? or do you, Does your calendar, checkbook, relationships, do they reveal some other priorities in your life? Or, or is there a priority in your life that you're making disciples? And I know you feel like I'm the least, I'm unqualified, I'm weak. I've my past disqualifies me. My my current situation disqualifies me. Stop making excuses. <laughs> if God's with you, that's all you need. And then he starts making some um, initial steps of faith, uh, and and he does move forward here. It's slow. It's, it's, it's grueling, but he makes some progress. And what we're going to find is the peace of God is really the reward of a genuine worship. He doesn't start off on a good foot, though. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. Literally, the Hebrew rev- 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 says, perform a sign for me, you. If I found favor in your eyes, prove to me that it's really you talking to me. Get it again. He doesn't. When other people see the angel of the Lord, they fall down. They're in fear. They, sw- you know, switch back. They, they're, they're terrified. Um, Gideon's so oblivious. He goes, "Hey, if it's really you, I need you to do a sign. Um, please don't go away until I bring back an offering." The Lord said, "I'll wait until you return. <laughs> I'll be patient with you. If that's that's what you want, we'll do it this way." Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat. And from an ephah of flour, he made bread with yeast. An ephah of flour, he made 20 loaves of bread. This is not just a meal. He's got something else in mind. He's bringing a big load back. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, uh, he brought them out and offered to him under the the yoke. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. Get them all wet. Take all that broth, 20 loaves of bread, the young goat, put it on the rock, pour out the broth, and Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his right hand and fire flared out from the rock consuming the meat and the bread. Um, if it really is you, why don't you give me a sign? Okay, will this work? This huge thing that I'm pretty sure Gideon knew something was up. And then the angel of the Lord disappeared. I mean, think about this. He, he brings it all back, like, prove it to me. He puts it down there, and it's gone, and the angel of the Lord's gone. I think he probably stood up and said, oh, that's the guy. The angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, I don't know how you have in your English uh, Bibles alas or oh. Um, Let me pronounce the Hebrew word for you. Ah, (laughs) That's an A, an H, and an H. (laughs) He's gone, and he says, ah. Sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. I mean, I, w- I would think, okay, the fire just took all that stuff, and I've been a smuts, so maybe I'm next. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, the Lord is peace. <gasps> to this day, it stands to offer from the Abiriziarites. Gideon responded in genuine worship by building this altar to the Lord. He gave the altar an appropriate name. The Lord is on friendly terms with me. The Lord is at peace with me. Literally, Yahweh, peace. Um, Which echoes the Lord's reassuring words to him in verse 23. You're okay. I'm not going to kill you. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, Um, Hack down, that's the word Gideon, that's his name, his his name is Hacker. Hack down your father's altar to Baal, and hack down the Asherah pole beside it. In his father's front yard, there's a temple, a shrine to Baal, and an Asherah pole. Baal and Asherah are the fertility gods of the Canaanites. Um, I'm not going to go into the lurid lewdness of what's being represented here, but it's bad. This is in their front yard. He says, tear it down, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of the height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull on the burnt offering. Um Robert Chisholm says it's not enough to build an altar to the Lord. If one leaves the altar of the competing God standing, when you know, when you realize your idolatry is there, if you're looking at your checkbook, your calendar, your friendships, your relationships the location of your Bible. By the way, just here's a piece of advice for Christians for the rest of your life. Don't get your name engraved on the Bible. Then when you leave it here, I know. Don't write your name in your Bible. (laughs) But when when the idolatry is revealed, get rid of the stuff that's the idolatry. There's another application. Repentance and faith. When confronted with your idolatry, start with cutting down the altars. Look at the stuff and get rid of it. This means getting rid of the issues and making a new commitment to worship, which means obedience and service. That's what he does. He makes a new altar and he worships, but he cuts down the old stuff first. And he has to start where it's hardest, at home. You want to know how hard that is to, to be real and live out your spirituality at home? Where people really know you. When I mean, your home is usually where where you're either real, it's it's either where you're the most real, or you're really good at pretending. He has to start at, at home first. Then he meets the opposition of the world. <laughs> he does what he's supposed to do, and you would think, okay, he does what he's supposed to do, now everything's gonna be good. No, we got two more chapters here, and it's there's problems. And the first opposition comes from God's people. The comfortable world, often even Christians, can't tolerate obedient faith. When your commitment, when you're getting rid of idols and you're prioritizing your worship of the Lord, you know, comfortable Christians don't like that. Because you're making them feel uncomfortable. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night. Again, he's going to do it, but at night. Rather than in the daytime. Again, I like Dale Ralph Davis. Evidently, obedience was essential and heroism was optional. Remember that, okay? Obedience is essential. You don't have to make a big deal out of it. You don't have to. uh, God didn't tell him to do it in the daytime. But, I mean, I think it's highlighting there's some fear still on his part. But he obeyed. At least he obeyed. Obedience was essential. Heroism was optional. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die. Because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. These are God's people. (laughs) These are not the Midianites and the Amalekites. These are Israelites, God's people, who should be worshiping God. But they've left Yahweh, and they're all freaked out because the shrine to Baal and the Asherah pole are cut down. But Joash, Gideon's dad, replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's case? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death in the morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him this new name, Jaru Baal. <laughs> that day they said, let Baal contend with him. He contended with Baal, so okay, we're going to go with Joash. He contended with Baal, and if Baal's real, he'll contend with him. Um, the opposition is going to continue. Um, the comfortable world can't take it, sometimes Christians, but even the world itself. These, these are now not God's people. Now, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel, this fertile plain. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. It's, it's, the idea is he, the, he clothed him. He, the, he threw the clothes on him. He threw the Spirit on him. And he blew a trumpet, summarizing the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms. And also to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. He gathered the local tribes around where these Midianites and all the eastern people had gathered. He sent out a call to the tribes, um, empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, the guy's still weak, okay? God's going to use him. He's got the Spirit of the Lord. But that doesn't mean he's spiritually mature yet. Um, Lawson Younger says, Therefore, in the case of Gideon, the Spirit's work reflects God's sovereign will to set things in motion for the, the deliverance he has planned. Not Gideon's condition of faith or spirituality. Barry Webb says, what it it does show, first of all, that being clothed with the spirit as Gideon was does not obliterate someone's personality and make one immune to the normal weaknesses entailed in being a fallen human being. God can use you, and it doesn't mean you become somebody different. You're probably still going to have struggles. Certainly Gideon does. It doesn't obliterate his, his fearfulness. He's going to continue to have this fearfulness that, that actually strangely turns into pride by the end of it. Secondly, the episode shows us again the amazing grace of God in making allowance for Gideon's imperfection. I want you to identify with Gideon here too, okay? God will be gracious, and, and, and he's going to allow you to be who you are and struggle the way you, you, you struggle But he wants you to be moving and growing. So here's my last application for today. Stop waiting until you get it all together. Gideon's going to do great things. He's never going to get it together. Neither with you. So stop waiting until you get it all together. None of us are perfect and none of us ever will be. Aspiration is the most important thing. Are you trying to grow? Striving to be Christ like is the most essential qualification. God must use broken people to do his work. God has to use left handed Ehuds and reluctant Baraks and uh, fearful Gideons. Uh, he, he has to use me. Broken people, he, he's, he's going to use you. So stop waiting until you get it all together. Get involved. <laughs> God's going to be patient. He's going to help you grow along the way. But he's not waiting for you to get it all together. Here's what we're learning with Gideon. There's more. But the Lord graciously guides us to grow and be used in his grand story of redemption. God's going to graciously help you grow. God's going to graciously get you to where he needs you. God has graciously gifted you. And there are some times that he may need to use you and the Spirit just jumps on you and you get used, not because you're all that in a bag of chips, but because he needs to use somebody to do something. God's going to graciously allow us to grow, but it's because he wants to use us in his plan. So once again, here are some next steps for today. The Lord's worthy of our obedient faith. The Lord's worthy of, of, of us trusting and obeying. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's what Gideon is needing to learn through all of this. But if you don't do that, your perpetual idolatry will lead to relentless discipline. God will not stop chasing you down. So obey the Lord first time, every time. And what is the big motivator in this passage? Remember, God doesn't just send a deliverer. He sends a prophet and then he shows up himself. And in both of those situations, what God does is he reminds them of his stories of faithfulness. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going we're to be reminded of, of the ultimate story of God's faithfulness right here. Okay, This is the big story of God's faithfulness. Christ took on flesh. We'll have a little piece of cracker that helps us remember that all of these laws and rituals and heroes and kings in the Old Testament, all those preachers, That wasn't the solution to the problem. The solution was the Son of God taking on flesh. We'll remember it with a symbol today. And then we're going to remember that he he shed his blood. After he took on flesh, he lived this perfect life as an example for us, but mostly so that his perfect life could be sacrificed, not for his own shortcomings, but for ours. And we'll remember that today. In 22 years, i preached through... Judges once, okay? We do this all the time because this is the story. This is the evidence of God's faithfulness.